Question 21 of Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treaties on the Saviour. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Tertia Pars, Treaties on the Saviour by St. Thomas Aquinas. Translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 21 of Christ's Prayer in Four Articles. We must now consider Christ's Prayer, and under this head there are four points of inquiry. First, whether it is becoming that Christ should pray. Second, whether it pertains to him in respect of his sensuality. Third, whether it is becoming to him to pray for himself or only for others. Fourth, whether every prayer of his was heard. First article, whether it is becoming of Christ to pray. Objection one, it would seem unbecoming that Christ should pray. For as Damascene says in On the True Faith 3.24, Prayer is the asking for becoming things from God. But since Christ could do all things, it does not seem becoming to him to ask anything from anyone. Therefore, it does not seem fitting that Christ should pray. Objection to further. We need not ask in prayer for what we know for certain will happen. Thus, we do not pray that the sun may rise tomorrow. Nor is it fitting that anyone should ask in prayer for what he knows will not happen. But Christ in all things knew what would happen. Therefore, it was not fitting that he should ask anything in prayer. Objection 3 further. Damascene says in On the True Faith 3.24 that Prayer is the raising up of the mind to God. Now Christ's mind needed no uplifting to God, since his mind was always united to God, not only by the union of the hypostasis, but by the fruition of beatitude. Therefore it was not fitting that Christ should pray. On the contrary, it is written in Luke 6.12, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain, and he passed the whole night in the prayer of God. I answer that, as was said in the second part, question 83, articles 1 and 2. Prayer is the unfolding of our will to God, that he may fulfill it. If, therefore, there had been but one will in Christ, notably the divine, it would nowise belong to him to pray, since the divine will of itself is effective of whatever he wishes by it, according to Psalm 134, verse 6. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, he hath done. But because the divine and the human wills are distinct in Christ, and the human will of itself is not efficacious enough to do what it wishes, except by divine power, hence to pray belongs to Christ as man and as having a human will. Reply to Objection 1. 
Christ as God and not as man was able to carry out all that he wished, since as man he was not omnipotent as stated above in question 13, article 1. Nevertheless, being both God and man, he wished to offer prayers to the Father, not as though he were incompetent, but for our instruction. First, that he might show himself to be from the Father, hence he says in John 11.42, Because of the people who stand about, I have said it, that is, the words of the prayer, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Hence Hilary says in On the Trinity 10, He did not need prayer, it was for us he prayed, lest the Son should be unknown. Secondly, to give us an example of prayer. Hence Ambrose says, commenting on Luke 6.12, Be not deceived, nor think that the Son of God prays as a weakling, in order to beseech what he cannot effect. For the author of power, the master of obedience, persuades us to the precepts of virtue by his example. Hence Augustine says, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, our Lord, in the form of a servant, could have prayed in silence, if need be. But he wished to show himself a suppliant of the Father, in such sort as to bear in mind that he was our teacher. Reply to Objection 2 Amongst the other things which he knew would happen, he knew that some would be brought about by his prayer, and for these he not unbecomingly besought God. Reply to Objection 3. To rise is nothing more than to move towards what is above. Now a movement is taken in two ways, as it is said in On the Soul 3.7. First, strictly, according as it implies the passing from potentiality to act, inasmuch as it is the act of something imperfect, and thus to rise pertains to what is potentially and not actually above. Now in this sense, as Damascene says in On the True Faith 3.24, the human mind of Christ did not need to rise to God, since it was ever united to God both by personal being and by the blessed vision. Secondly, movement signifies the act of something perfect, that is, something existing in act, as to understand and to feel are called movements and in this sense the mind of Christ was always raised up to God since he was always contemplating him as existing above himself. Second article. Whether it pertains to Christ to pray according to his sensuality. Objection 1. It would seem that it pertains to Christ to pray according to his sensuality. For it is written in Psalm 83, verse 3 in the Persian of Christ, My heart and my flesh have rejoicing in the living God. Now sensuality is the appetite of the flesh. Hence Christ's sensuality could ascend to the living God by rejoicing, and with equal reason by praying. Objection to further. Prayer would seem to pertain to that which desires what is besought. Now Christ besought something that his sensuality desired when he said, in Matthew 26, 39, Let this chalice pass from me, 
Therefore, Christ's sensuality prayed. Objection 3 further. It is a greater thing to be united to God in person than to mount to him in prayer. But the sensuality was assumed by God in the unity of person, even as every other part of human nature. Much more, therefore, could it mount to God by prayer. On the contrary, it is written in Philippians 2.7 that the Son of God in the nature that he assumed was made in the likeness of men. But the rest of men do not pray with their sensuality. Therefore, neither did Christ pray according to his sensuality. I answer that, to pray according to sensuality may be understood in two ways. First, as if prayer itself were an act of the sensuality. And in this sense, Christ did not pray with his sensuality, since his sensuality was of the same nature and species in Christ as in us. Now in us, the sensuality cannot pray for two reasons. First, because the movement of the sensuality cannot transcend sensible things, and consequently it cannot mount to God, which is required for prayer. Secondly, because prayer implies a certain ordering inasmuch as we desire something to be fulfilled by God, and this is the work of reason alone. Hence prayer is an act of the reason, as was said in the second part, the pars secunda secunde, question 83, article 1. Secondly, we may be said to pray according to the sensuality when our prayer lays before God what is in our appetite of sensuality. And in this sense, Christ prayed with his sensuality inasmuch as his prayer expressed the desire of his sensuality, as if it were the advocate of the sensuality, and this that he might teach us three things. First, to show that he had taken a true human nature with all its natural affections. Secondly, to show that a man may wish with his natural desire what God does not wish. Thirdly, to show that man should subject his own will to the divine will. Hence Augustine says in the Enchiridion, Christ acting as a man shows the proper will of a man when he says, Let this chalice pass from me. For this was the human will, desiring something proper to itself and, so to say, private. But because he wishes man to be righteous and to be directed to God, he adds, Nevertheless, not as I, but as thou wilt. As if to say, See thyself in me, for thou canst desire something proper to thee, even though God wishes something else. Reply to Objection 1. The flesh rejoices in the living God, not by the act of the flesh mounting to God, but by the outpouring of the heart into the flesh, inasmuch as the sensitive appetite follows the movement of the rational appetite. Reply to Objection 2. Although the sensuality wished what the reason besought, it did not belong to the sensuality to seek this by praying, but to the reason as stated above. Reply to Objection 3. The union in person is according to the personal being, which pertains to every part of the human nature. 
but the uplifting of prayer is by an act which pertains only to the reason as stated above hence there is no parity third article whether it was fitting that christ should pray for himself objection one it would seem that it was not fitting that christ should pray for himself for hilary says in on the trinity ten although his word of besieging did not benefit himself yet he spoke for the prophet of our faith hence it seems that christ prayed not for himself but for us objection to further no one prays save for what he wishes because as was said in article one prayer is an unfolding of our will to god that he may fulfill it now christ wished to suffer what he suffered for augustine says in his letter against faustus twenty six a man though unwilling is often angry though unwilling is sad though unwilling sleeps though unwilling hungers and thirsts but he that is christ did all these things because he wished therefore it was not fitting that he should pray for himself objection three further cyprian says in his reflection on the lord's prayer the doctor of peace and master of unity did not wish prayers to be offered individually and privately lest when we prayed we should pray for ourselves alone now christ did what he taught according to acts one one jesus began to do and to teach therefore christ never prayed for himself alone on the contrary our lord himself said while praying in john seventeen verse one glorify thy son i answer that christ prayed for himself in two ways first by expressing the desire of his sensuality as stated above in article two or also of his simple will considered as a nature as when he prayed that the chalice of his passion might pass from him confer matthew twenty six verse thirty nine secondly by expressing the desire of his deliberate will which is considered as reason as when he prayed for the glory of his resurrection confer john seventeen verse one and this is reasonable for as we have said above in article one first reply christ wished to pray to his father in order to give us an example of praying and also to show that his father is the author both of his eternal procession in the divine nature and of all the good that he possesses in the human nature now just as in his human nature he had already received certain gifts from his father so there were other gifts which he had not yet received but which he expected to receive and therefore as he gave thanks to the father for gifts already received in his human nature by acknowledging him as the author thereof as we read in matthew twenty six verse twenty seven and john eleven verse forty one so also in recognition of his father he besought him in prayer for those gifts still due to him in his human nature such as the glory of his body and the like and in this he gave us an example that we should give thanks for benefits received and ask in prayer 
for those we have not as yet. Reply to Objection 1. Hilary is speaking of vocal prayer, which was not necessary to him for his own sake, but only for ours, whence he says pointedly that his word of beseeching did not benefit himself. For if the Lord hears the desire of the poor, as is said in Psalm 9, verse 38, much more the will of Christ has the force of a prayer with the Father. Wherefore he said in John 11, verse 42, I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people who stand about have I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. Reply to Objection 2 Christ wished indeed to suffer what he suffered at that particular time. Nevertheless, he wished to obtain, after his passion, the glory of his body, which as yet he had not. This glory he expected to receive from his Father as the author thereof, and therefore it was fitting that he should pray to him for it. Reply to Objection 3 this very glory which Christ, while praying, besought for himself, pertained to the salvation of others according to Romans 4.25. He rose again for our justification. Consequently, the prayer which he offered for himself was also in a manner offered for others. So also anyone that asks a boon of God that he may use it for the good of others, prays not only for himself but also for others. Fourth Article. Whether Christ's Prayer Was Always Heard. Objection 1. It would seem that Christ's prayer was not always heard. For he besought that the chalice of his passion might be taken away from him, as we read in Matthew 26, 39. And yet it was not taken from him. Therefore, it seems that not every prayer of his was heard. Objection 2. Further. He prayed that the sin of those who crucified him might be forgiven, as is related in Luke 23.34. Yet not all were pardoned this sin, since the Jews were punished on account thereof. Therefore it seems that not every prayer of his was heard. Objection 3 further. Our Lord prayed for them, who would believe in him through the word of the apostles, that they might all be one in him and that they might attain to being with him, all of this related in John 17 in Christ's priestly prayer. But not all attained to this. Therefore, not every prayer of his was heard. Objection 4 further. It is said in Psalm 21 verse 3 in the person of Christ, I shall cry by day, and thou wilt not hear. Not every prayer of his therefore was heard. On the contrary, the Apostle says in Hebrews 5, verse 7, With a strong cry and tears offering up prayers, he was heard for his reverence. I answer that as stated above in Article 1. Prayer is a certain manifestation of the human will. Wherefore, then, is the request of one who prays granted when his will is fulfilled? 
Now absolutely speaking, the will of man is the will of reason. For we will absolutely that which we will in accordance with reason's deliberation. Whereas what we will in accordance with the movement of sensuality, or even of the simple will, which is considered as nature, is willed not absolutely, but conditionally, secundum quid. That is, provided no obstacle be discovered by reason's deliberation. Wherefore such a will should rather be called a valeity than an absolute will, because one would will, velet, if there were no obstacle. But according to the will of reason, Christ willed nothing but what he knew God to will. Wherefore every absolute will of Christ, even human, was fulfilled, because it was in conformity with God. And consequently his every prayer was fulfilled. For in this respect also is it that other men's prayers are fulfilled, in that their will is in conformity with God, according to Romans 8.27. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth, that is, approves of, what the Spirit desireth, that is, what the Spirit makes the saints to desire. Because he asketh for the saints according to God, that is, in conformity with the divine will. Reply to Objection 1. This prayer for the passing of the chalice is variously explained by the saints. For Hilary, in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew 31, says, When he asks that this may pass from him, he does not pray that it may pass by him, but that others may share in that which passes on from him to them. So that the sense is, as I am partaking of the chalice of the Passion, so may others drink of it, with unfailing hope, with unflinching anguish, without fear of death. Or, according to Jerome, in his commentary on Matthew 26, verse 39, he says pointedly, this chalice, that is, of the Jewish people, who cannot allege ignorance as an excuse for putting me to death, since they have the law and the prophets who foretold concerning me. Or, according to Dionysius of Alexandria, on martyrdom, when he says, remove this chalice from me, he does not mean, let it not come to me, for if it come not, it cannot be removed. But as that which passes is neither untouched nor yet permanent, so the Saviour beseeches that a slightly pressing trial may be repulsed. Lastly, Ambrose, Origen, and Chrysostom say that he prays thus as man, being reluctant to die according to his natural will. Thus, therefore, whether we understand, according to Hilary, that he thus prayed that other martyrs might be imitators of his passion, or that he prayed that the fear of drinking his chalice might not trouble him, or that death might not withhold him, his prayer was entirely fulfilled. But if we understand that he prayed that he might not drink the chalice of his passion and death, or that he might not drink it at the hands of the Jews, what he besought was not indeed fulfilled, because his reason which formed the petition did not desire its fulfillment, but for our instruction it was his will to make known to us his natural will and the movement of his sensuality 
which was his as man. Reply to Objection 2. Our Lord did not pray for all those who crucified him, as neither did he for all those who would believe in him, but for those only who were predestined to obtain eternal life through him. Wherefore the reply to the third objection is also manifest. Reply to Objection 4. When he says, I shall cry, and thou wilt not hear. We must take this as referring to the desire of sensuality, which shunned death. But he is heard as to the desire of his reason, as stated above. End of question 21. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.